You are now listening to the ACMS podcast. Welcome to the ACMS podcast. My name is Logan Browning, and we are excited to get to know Leon Rogers, a retired faculty member from Brigham Young University. Brother Rogers graduated from Weber State College in 1978 with a degree in psychology and from Utah State University with a degree in industrial technical education with a minor in Spanish. In 1981, he received his master's in construction management from Colorado State University. Continuing his education, Brother Rogers received his PhD in construction management in 1989 from Texas A&M. In 1981, he became an associate professor at Brigham Young University teaching construction management. In 1993, he became the president of Wayne Homes, overseeing the entire construction company that built 70 to 75 homes per year. In 1995, Brother Rogers returned to Brigham Young University and became a construction management professor. In 2004, he became president of Construction Management Associates, working with over 50 clients nationwide. Some of Brother Rogers' achievements would include presenting over 500 national seminars about construction management, receiving the Outstanding Educator Award, having two publications, and being an author of 20 peer-reviewed articles. Brother Rogers, thank you for meeting with us. This is going to be a great podcast. Thank you for having me. I love BYU-Idaho, always have, and so it's a privilege to be with you. And as we go throughout the podcast, I, I, I am excited to learn more about you and your schooling and your experience. And it seems like you have a ton of experience that you can share with us. So feel free to open up. And I want to start with your schooling and just the journey that you took getting everything that you did from your bachelor's to your PhD. Well, I have to back up a little bit. My wife and I got married soon after my mission, about a year after I was home from my mission to Peru and Ecuador. And one of the promises I made her was that she wouldn't have to work after she and began having children. And that didn't take very long. And so pretty young in our marriage, uh, we, I found it necessary to earn a living for our family, provide for our family, and also try to go to school. So I started out in working in a lumberyard. That soon turned into, after about a year, turned into working as a carpenter and then working as a foreman and later as a superintendent and some other things. So I spent about nine years actively building, mostly in the, in the finished carpentry area, getting my feet wet, I guess you'd say. And then I was, at, I was actually in Brigham, Brigham City, putting an addition on the Box Elder Seminary, and we decided it was time to go back to school. I hadn't finished my degree. By that time, we had three children. I decided it was time to get serious. If we were ever going to do it, we needed to do it now and, or then. And so we went back to school at Utah State, and I finished my degree there, all but the student teaching. And I found out that I needed to do student teaching, and so I was all done with everything else. And Weber State offered me a position there teaching in what was called then Skill Center North. It's a vocational training center. And uh, I accepted that, actually did my, I was the only person I know who has ever been paid to do student teaching. So I did my student teaching, got paid for it. And then that, pro, that turned into a full-time employment at the, at Weber State University teaching uh, carpentry in their carpentry program. 
So that's where I started in, in 78 when I graduated. And then from there, uh, I taught there for a couple of years and then decided I really, really, really enjoyed teaching and particularly teaching construction and uh, decided to go back to school and finish a, or achieve a master's degree. And so I picked the best one I could find and went to Colorado State. And you need to know that going to school at Colorado State was like a dream come true. Everything I ever wanted to know and didn't about construction, I knew a lot about the technical side, about how to build. And I knew a lot about concrete. I knew a lot about framing and finishing, cut siding, and all the, all the different parts of things that you need to know. Working in a lumber yard as a young man, that was a wonderful opportunity to get to learn all about different parts and pieces. There's a couple of funny stories that I, it was a guy came in and he said, I need a roof jack. And I looked at him and I said, a roof jack, a roof jack. What, what would a roof jack be? And in my mind's eye, I pictured a handyman jack or four of them that you use to lift a roof up. And so I asked my boss, his name was Hal Wheelwright. I asked my boss, where are the roof jacks? And he says, oh, they're out in the roof shed. And so I went on the roofing shed and I looked everywhere for something that looked like it was big enough to lift a, a roof off a house or off a building. I couldn't find it. So I went back in and I said, I couldn't, I can't find them anywhere. I can't find a roof jack. He said, oh, they're out there. Just go look again. So I went out there again and looked around and looked around and I couldn't find it again. So I went back in and I said, and I told the customer, I said, do you mind coming out and help me? And so he went out, we went out the roof jack. He walked right over to a bin and picked up a little cone. It was about this big on the bottom, about this big on the top, that you put on top of a plumbing pipe to keep the water from penetrating into the building. And that's what a roof jack is. It jacks the level of the roof up. But I didn't know that. So things like that, I mean, I learned grades of lumber. I learned different species of lumber. I learned everything I could think of about plumbing parts and electrical parts and it was just a wonderful, wonderful education to start, a, to start out in the construction industry. So I've, I've always appreciated that. So anyway, then I went to, to Colorado State. And when I, when I arrived there, everything I needed to know, uh, how to more accurately estimate, how to schedule properly. And this is at the advent, the very, very advent of computer computer-generated scheduling. In fact, we did our... You guys won't believe this, but we did our, our scheduling on punch cards and we would take them over to the computer center and type in our activities and our durations and our dependencies. And they would put all this information on a punch card and feed it into a computer and spit out a schedule the next day. And so it's, it's totally, totally different from where we are now. And uh, I learned about construction law. I love construction law and, and just things like that that are part of your program now that I didn't even know existed. I didn't, when I went to college, I had no idea, absolutely no idea that you could major in construction management. It was, that was just as foreign to me as Chinese. I just had no idea that it existed. So I, I worked there and, and uh, finished my degree. When I left Weber State, uh, I had a kind of an agreement with them that I would return if they would turn the program into a four-year program instead of a two-year carpentry program. 
and they decided not to go that direction at that time. They have since turned it into a four-year program, but at that time they didn't. And so I began to look elsewhere and was offered a position at about five different universities and decided to come to BYU. So in 1981, I started at BYU in their construction management program. Back then it was called building, building construction program and uh, started with Jay Newitt and Lon Wallace and there were three of us there. And it was a very, very small program and it was wonderful to be a, be a part of the, the growth and development of that program from an unknown program anywhere in the United States. You'd ask anybody on BYU's campus even, tell them you were majoring in construction management if you were a student, and they would say, what's that? And where's that? And we'd tell them we're in the Snell Building. They'd say, where's the Snell Building? And we'd say proudly, very proudly, we'd say, it's south of the law school. And of course, the, the law school gave us the only credibility we have. So, uh, and then I taught there for about 25 years before I retired. Part of our program in, at BYU, one of the things we needed to do was develop a national reputation. We didn't have one. We didn't have any reputation, bad or good. We just didn't have a reputation of any kind. And so Jane Newitt and I sat down and, and Brother Wallace, Lon Wallace, sat down and decided how can we get the news out that we are, a, that we are who we are and that we're a part of BYU and a, an important part of BYU. Well, one of the things we did was we decided, divided up the various different trade associations and I ended up with being responsible for the National Association of Home Builders and developing a relationship with them. And so over the years I did. One of the things I did was with them is I became a member of the business management committee and served for a few years on their board of directors on the business, on the National Association of Home Builders, national board of directors as well. And there was a fellow there that I was very, very, very impressed with. He was, his name was Dave Showers and he was the president of Wayne Holmes in Ohio. And we would sit next to each other and talk about different kinds of things during our different various committee meetings. And in 1971, no, excuse me, 1991, sorry, 1991, he came to me and he said, Leon, I'd, I'm wondering if you'd, if you ever have time off. And I said, well, we, we have some, our summers off. And he said, do you ever get more than that? And I said, well, every once in a while, we're sometimes allowed to go on a sabbatical. And he says, have you had one lately? And I said, no. And I, he said, would you be interested in having a, taking a sabbatical leave and coming to work with us? Well, I knew him well enough by then to know that that was a goldmine of an opportunity. Uh, you need to understand a little bit about Wayne Holmes. Uh, Wayne Holmes was at that time, 1992, was named America's most organized builder. The only company in the history of the United States to be named America's most organized builder. And they were tremendously, tremendously so. Uh, one of the most outstanding educational opportunities I've ever had in my life was to work for them. And I spent a year there working as a, a consultant for them. I helped them develop a superintendent's training program. Uh, we call it a construction manager training program because that's the title they chose for superintendents. And I also developed what's called a production manual where we outlined the standards of construction for every trade that worked for them 
what was an accepted level of performance and what was not. And so we developed those. We did some other things like that. And so I worked for him for a year. <clears throat> At the end of the year, he said, before I returned to BYU, he said, have you ever just considered resigning from BYU? I said, no. He says, are you sure? I said, no, I really haven't. Would you like to consider? I said, no, I really am not interested. He said, let me show you some things. He pulled out a yellow piece of paper and he wrote down, put on the piece of paper, kind of a pluses and minuses, pros and cons about decision-making with regard to this. And he showed me a few things and he showed me what I was making at BYU. And that wasn't any secret. It wasn't exact because nobody knows what you make at BYU, but it was within the ballpark. And he showed me what I could make at Wayne Holmes. And he showed me some other things about the company and about the position, about other things. And long story short, I ended up going to work with them. And I worked there for two years as the president of Wayne Holmes Newark. Uh, Wayne Holmes at the time had seven offices throughout the state of Ohio. My office, the one in Newark, was the smallest of those seven. We grew it from building about 60 homes a year up to about 80 homes a year while I was there. But it was a wonderful, wonderful learning opportunity. And I, I think I also contributed considerably to, to the well-being of that particular part of the organization. It was kind of interesting. Wayne Holmes, uh, without knowing it, kind of followed a lot the principles that we believe in the gospel about in the church about management. For example, we had a seven presidents of Wayne Holmes. Each of the offices had a president and those presidents would meet together monthly and discuss plans. And if we couldn't come to an agreement, we also had an unofficial policy that we managed by consensus. In other words, if we didn't come to consensus on something, all seven of us, and like the church, we had a president, a CEO, and an executive vice president, and a chief financial officer. So they kind of served as, the chief financial officer was a member of the church, but nobody else was, just me and him. And they kind of served as, as our first presidency, if you want to call it that, and then the seven, core, seven presidents of the organization. And we would meet together, and when we, whenever we'd come up with a policy or something, we, we would discuss it until we came to consensus, and then we'd go ahead with it. Can I share one story with you? Please, yes. While we were doing that one day, we violated that policy, and we violated over the superintendents. We had some of our company, our, our policy, our, our goal was to be able to build homes start to finish in about 80 days. And one of the divisions, one of the seven presidents of the, of the company did that all the time. He'd build a small home in about 68 days and his larger homes were typically in the seven, that's calendar days, that's not building days, that's calendar days. And start to finish in the bigger homes were typically take about 70, 75 days. And he wanted to reduce that to encourage his superintendents to build homes more efficiently. Some of the, the rest of us were struggling with that. And so we kind of talked about it and talked about it and talked about it. And we couldn't come to a consensus as to what we thought the, the right number of target number of days, because our, their, their bonus depended upon it. 
their performance, lots of things depended upon that. And so it wasn't just a number. It was something they had, the superintendents had to live with. And we kind of split it in the middle. We kind of went down to about 75 days. We wanted to go much below that, but we went down to about 75 days. And we kind of let it, put it in place and let it work for a little while. Well, it didn't work very well. His people continued to excel. The rest of us struggled and struggled and struggled. And it was affecting our superintendent's bonuses they would receive. And so it was affecting their earning capabilities. And they, they didn't rebel, but they were, it was just hard. And after a couple months, we came together again and said, this didn't work, did it? Then we discussed why. We discussed the fact that we need to take the, the opinions of all the stakeholders into account before we make a, a decision, not just the best performing of all of us. In other words, you can't hold up the best performing office in a whole company and say, all right, everybody needs to mimic them because people are different and offices are different, and circumstances are different and personnel are different. And so, while you'd all like to be able to replicate the best of the best, sometimes market conditions and other things don't allow you to do that. And so we backed off from that. And then from there on, we were a lot more careful about the decisions we made, but it was a pretty good learning experience for me. Thank you for sharing that. That's a great story. And I have two questions for you, brother Rogers, and you can take one at a time. One will be, what's the best advice you can give for those in school? What, for you being through a lot of, of schooling and education, what can you pass on to those? Um, this may sound weird, but be bold. Don't be afraid to try things that you don't know you can do. Uh, you find out by being bold, you can do a lot more than you think you can do. By the same token, you can't be arrogant. You can't bluff and say, I can do something when you don't have the background of the training or the experience or the understanding of how to do that. Sometimes you stub your toe. I went to work one day and this is back when I was a kid or a young man, I was married. And the, my boss asked me to build a set of stairs off of a deck. Well, I'd never built, he asked me to build the deck. So I built the deck and then I needed a set of stairs to come down off the deck and I never built a set of stairs before. So the night before I read up in my carpentry book about how to build a set of stairs. And it said, you lay out your, your stringers and you figure it out. And he said, and then you figure out your rise and your run and divide it up and figure out how high each step's got to be in order to get where you need to be. And then you lay out your stringers and they said, and it says, and cut off the bottom string, the bottom of the stringers equal to the thickness of the tread. And I thought to myself, how dumb can you be? I just figured out exactly how high each step has to be. No, that can't be right. So I went ahead and built a set of stairs. And I put it up against the, the deck and down onto the concrete pad, or pad at the bottom. And I walked up the set of stairs and the first step was an inch and a half, or an inch and a quarter higher. And the bottom step was an inch and a quarter lower than all the other stairs. And I learned then why you had to do that. You had to take into consideration the thickness of the tread. I, you know, so while I thought I could do anything without asking questions, uh, I learned a, a lesson about how the, I, I learned how to study better. I learned how to take the advice of other people better. But there's other experiences in life where uh, you sometimes say, oh, yeah, I could do that. And then you go figure out how. 
And quite honestly, those experiences in my life, at least, those experiences in my life have been the most valuable, the ones where I learned the most, the ones where I extended myself the most. Second piece of advice I give you is to sell yourself well, but don't be afraid to be confident in what you can do and what you can accomplish. When you interview with potential employees, be confident, don't be doubtful. Do your homework before you go into that interview. Find out everything you can about that company, who they are, what they are, what they do, where they do it, how they do it, what positions have they have that you would qualify for, and then walk into that interview with full knowledge of who and what you are. And then be confident in asking for maybe a little bit more than you think you're worth. And don't don't be afraid of it. Because you the chances are you might be able you chances are pretty good that you'll get what you ask for. Sometimes it doesn't work out that way. And again, you need to be realistic, but don't undersell yourself. In the church, we teach humility a lot, and it's an important, 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 important lesson in the church and elsewhere. But we also need to teach confidence a little bit more than we do in the church. And I think that's important, in, particularly in an employment situation. The problem is then when you get there, then you have to fulfill the responsibilities and the expectations of who you're dealing with. So it's got two sides to it. Don't be afraid. And I think everything you mentioned is so applicable. And I love, I love how you're tying in the real world with the gospel and how they interlock. You, you can't have one without the other. And that's how we're successful is through that. One of, the, one of the reasons I chose BYU, those opportunities that I had, was the fact that I could openly teach with the gospel in mind, teach the things that are, that are necessary to learn. I've always appreciated what BYU offered and, and the opportunity to teach both parts of who we are, the secular side and the professional side. And as I just said a few minutes ago, I, I had two questions for you, and I want to ask you this question as well from your work experience. What is the industry looking for? What's something that we need to do as students to prepare to just be the best employer once we graduate? Industry is looking for self-starters. The industry is looking for people who don't have to be nursemated. The industry is looking for people who are confident and can continue to learn after they graduate. A lot of our graduates at BYU and BYU-Idaho both, you come out with a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful basic education. And you need to understand the word basic. You understand a whole lot Oh, excuse me, you understand a very little about a whole lot. And you need that field experience. And I know you have your internship programs and so forth. And they are invaluable, absolutely invaluable. I like what you do at BYU-Idaho. I think it's absolutely stellar, absolutely stellar. I like the way you do it and the way it's put together. But when you graduate, uh, you, need to, you need to act with confidence. But it's just kind of like, it's kind of like any professional, professional athlete, professional in the, in the world, a doctor, lawyer, anybody. You're not who you're going to be when you graduate. You're just beginning to be who you're going to be. And I like, I like the way doctors do it, for example. They spend all that time 
and in college to getting their degree as a, as a doctor. And then after they're a doctor, then they have to go through their internships and to learn in practice in the field to apply the things that they've learned in school. Well, you, you get both of the opportunities there, but you need to make sure that you continue to learn and submerge yourself in it. One of the things I've noticed is that there are so many, so many new and innovative ways to do things. If you want to have a learning experience, for example, go online and watch and see what they're doing to the Salt Lake Temple. Look at the pictures every week. Immerse yourself in them. If you want to have an amazing experience, look and see what they did to the Provo City Center Temple. And the phenomenal, phenomenal, I mean, just to have the audacity to say we can do this. To take a building, jack it up in the air, three stories, two and a half stories, dig everything out from underneath it, hold it up by a bunch of pipes, scaffolding basically, then build another building underneath it, then set it back down again and have it work out as beautifully as it did just to have the audacity to do something like that. And that's just a small, both of those are small indications of some phenomenal experiences that are available for people to enjoy. It's interesting to note that those two and the conference center in Salt Lake City were all three heavily, heavily impacted. And also many of the buildings on your campus were heavily impacted by BYU and BYU-Idaho graduates. You guys are making, guys and gals are making a tremendous, tremendous contribution to the construction industry. And in many ways, the church is on the forefront of many parts of that. So. Brother Rogers, you have been an excellent guest, and I'm, I'm grateful for the experiences that you shared. And as we come to the close of our podcast, I want to focus on the four cornerstones of BYU-Idaho's Design and Construction Management Department, which are to build others through Christ-like service, lead with integrity, design, construct, and connect with our communities, and grow our knowledge continually. Why is it important that we as students now need to start to build upon these cornerstones in our life? They are the cornerstones of your professional life. And because your professional life overlaps with your personal life, they, be, they become the cornerstones of you. It's interesting sitting where I am now, 70 plus years old, and, and having been retired for a, few, for a few years, just a couple of days ago, I was thinking, I was looking at some things that I would save and save and save and save and save and save because they were so important to me for all those years that I was teaching. Uh, teaching aids, lesson plans, little programs that were there and available to me to, to help me teach better. And for 25 years plus, they were the life, my lifeblood. That's what I did every day was all those things. Now, I look at them and I say, do I really need to save this anymore? But the important things, the truly important things, my testimony, who I am, service in the church. We've served a couple of missions in the last few years, service in the church in terms of your callings in the church. All of those things, and particularly one of the things we do, we do is, especially in the middle of your life, between you and me, 
there's a whole lot of time. And in those years, we can get distracted by our professional pursuits. We can think those are important, and they are, but only secondarily so. And so those cornerstones that you mentioned, they do serve you in your professional life, but they also serve you in your eternal life as well. And that's much, much, much more important than your professional life. Thank you for listening to the ACMS podcast.